Hey, Pastor Zach here from the Grove Church, and I'm just excited that you are either streaming or have downloaded a sermon right here from TGC. Um, we're excited that you're here and just excited for you. I pray that it blesses you. But before we do get started, I just one thing I want to chat with you about. One thing I just want to really just plead with you that this would not replace you joining in with God's covenant people um, through the local church. I pray that this would be only supplemental to your growth in Christ and would in no way replace you joining regularly with God's people, sitting under your pastor and serving your brother and sister in Christ. And so if you're local to TGC, I just want to extend the invitation for you to come and join us. We're here every Sunday, 10 a.m., downtown Spruce Pine, right on Lower Street. We would absolutely love to have you. If you're not local, then I just ask and pray that you would find a local body of believers who love Jesus, preach the Bible, and is a place that you can both serve in and find community with. After all, this is God's plan to push back what's dark in the world. The local church is to be a light, and we pray that you would find that. I hope that this sermon blesses you. May God bless you as you listen to the proclamation of his word. So you guys can be seated. And so today, um, Paul starts to kind of get to the really the heart of his message to the church in Colossae. And so um, I don't have time to, to completely recap. So if you've missed the last couple Sundays or you're new here, if you want, you can go online and listen to the past sermons. Um, but, but really briefly, this is a letter to a, ch a young church in a rural town uh, in what's modern-day Turkey in a town called Colossae. And so uh, Paul's writing this letter, um, and it's a letter to a church who, who has faith in the gospel, faith in Jesus, but um, some heresy has begun. Because of, of outside pressure and even internal pressures, some heresy has begun to form in the church where they've started to um, kind of mix their faith and their Christianity with the things of this world. And so uh, they've begun to, to, to mix these two things together. And so Paul writes this letter and starts to really get to his argument here today um, in this passage of Colossians. And so um, really he start, we start to think about this idea of, of, their, of, of our perception versus the reality of what is. And, and what I mean by that is, is I think sometimes we live based on, on what we think about things um, in our culture today, what we think and what we want things to be like instead of what things actually are like. And, and that can be really dangerous. And so for instance, um, I have a truck um, and my truck a couple months ago, started making some weird noise every time I pressed on um, the brake pedal. And so uh, I knew that wasn't good, but um, I knew it was going to be costly probably, so I kind of just ignored it for a little bit. Um, then all of a sudden, the, the brake light would be on, the one that when you pull the emergency brake, um, but the emergency brake wasn't pulled, and I was like, that can't be good. Um, and then one day, I tried to stop to check the mail and just completely missed the mailbox, um, which I've never done before, so I think it had something to do with the brakes. I don't think it was my timing. Um, and so I realized something's wrong here. And for, for a few months, uh, my perception was, ah, everything's okay. It's still breaking. It's not breaking as well as it used to, but it's still breaking. I'm going to be fine. And it was that day when I missed a mailbox, I realized, no, because things aren't fine. Like, if that would have happened while I'm stopping for a red light, that could have gone bad. Um, and so there's, there's this danger we have when we just decide, I'm not going to believe what's really, what's really happening around me. I'm just going to pretend like it's not real. I'm going to think my own things, and even though uh, the brake light tried to warn me, I didn't know that was actually a warning, I don't know if it is, but something happened there uh, where it said like, hey, something's wrong with your brakes, the sound was trying to warn me, and I was just like, nah, I'll be fine, um, I just completely missed the mailbox, I had to get out and go get the mail, it was a whole thing, so uh, we have this 
this thing of, of, of we, um, we, we love to live in this perception, and I would love to live in this perception that my, break, my brakes work because it's costly to get my brakes fixed. I would love just to live in this perception that, hey, everything's okay with my car, but if I don't yield to reality, that becomes dangerous, and, and what's going to happen? I could run into someone, and, and, and this happens not just here. It happens um, a lot of times in our relationships, and so um, there's this really popular book called uh, uh, The Five Love Languages, um, and, and uh, I don't want to get into a whole argument. I, anyone, someone tells me there's, there's only five love languages, the rebel in me is like, nah, I can find more. Um, so I've tried to convince my wife that sarcasm is a love language. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's not. Um, I try, I've tried to convince that there's other love languages. And I'm sure there, I'm, I'm actually positive there's other ways you can show love between, be, besides the five that uh, Gary Chapman says in the, in the five love languages. But it's a good book. It's a good book. It, it talks to us about how we uh, give and how we receive love. And there's some tests in that book, and you can kind of determine um, what primary way you like to receive love and, um, and, and in what way that you often give love. And so uh, in, 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 the, in the context of a relationship, what, what can happen is you can determine, hey, my wife really, uh, my spouse really likes to receive love through acts of service. You, you know, they really like it when I do things for her. Uh, and, and so that, that, could be, that could be the reality of what's going on, but oftentimes what we do in our relationships is we decide, no, I know that's what she says, but I really enjoy giving love through touch, so that's going to be the way that I primarily give love. Even though I know she says she likes acts of service, my, my perception is touch is the, is the way to show love, and so that's the way I'm going to do it. And that be, that's going to begin to cause friction in your relationship. It's begin to cause friction because you're basically saying, like, no, you're not, you're not, you don't know what you like. I know what you like, and so I'm going to show you the way that you should like to receive love or the way that you, I, I believe that you actually do. And so there's this perception that we have about what's happening around us. And when we don't yield to reality and yield to what's actually happening, what's actually real and true, things begin to fall apart. Things begin to break down. And it happens, again, it happens, make it happen with my brakes. It can happen with, you know, your air conditioner at home. Be like, no, nah, my air conditioner's fine. I love just to pretend like my air conditioner's fine at home or my heating's fine. But come winter, if you don't actually yield to reality and get it fixed, you're going to freeze. And so there's, man, all over, we can just pretend like everything's okay. But if we don't yield to reality, things fall apart. And so, um, and our culture's big on this. We always, well, I, you know, what do you hear? I believe this. Well, I believe this. I believe God is a God of this. I believe that God would do this. I believe my, th this saying I love, and, and so my God would never, my, and so we have this thing in our culture where we don't submit to reality, we, we just submit to whatever our perception of reality is, and we do that by saying things like, well, I believe, what I believe is this, what I, what my God would never send people to hell, my God would never be angry like that, my God would never tell me how to live my life. Now, the last one people probably wouldn't say, but they live like it. And so we submit to our perception until reality. And we see that through those sayings of I believe in my God. And so oftentimes what we don't hear is, well, the Bible says this. Well, God has revealed himself as this. And so what we want to do as Christians, we want to submit to what God has said about himself, not what we believe about God. We want to submit to what God has said about himself, what Jesus has revealed about himself. And so last week we talked about talked at length about how the Bible isn't a book about us, but it's a book about him. It's a book about God. And so we submit to how God has revealed himself here. And so Paul's going to turn to that argument. He says in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. He's the image of God. 
He is the image of God. Jesus is the he, because he was talking about Jesus here previously. He is the image of the invisible God. You want to know who God is, what God is like. All you have to do is look to Jesus. Jesus came and he was the image of the invisible God. It says, it'll say later, in him, um, God was pleased for, for the fullness of him to dwell in him. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. And so you want to know who God is and what God is like, what God likes and what God doesn't like and how God acts and how God responds to certain things and, and what, God, what God asks of us. All we have to do is look to Jesus. And the really cool thing about that is God doesn't just leave us to, to try and figure out what Jesus is like, to try and figure out what God is like. He sent his son as the image of the invisible God. And for us today, he's given us a book that reveals to us who he is. It reveals to us what he's like, what he likes, what he doesn't like, how he acts, how he thinks, how he feels. And we can come to that book and we can know God. We can go to the Gospels and see the life of Jesus and we can see the image of the invisible God. We can know him. If you want to know God, we get to know Jesus. Jesus is God. He is, shows us, he's the fullness of God. There wasn't just part of God in Jesus the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. He was the God-man. And he reveals to us all that we need to know about God. But that's not all Jesus is. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things things hold together. This is who Jesus is. Jesus, so Paul's going to talk about what we would say the preeminence of Jesus, the greatness of Jesus, and, and G, how Jesus is greater than everything there is. See, Jesus has created everything, and everything was created by Jesus, for Jesus, through Jesus, and everything there is is held together by Jesus. But oftentimes we go to those things that he holds together, we go to creation for the things that he was meant to do for us. And so instead of coming to Jesus when we have a tough day at work, we, we go to his creation. We go to alcohol. We go to food. We go to entertainment. We go to things that he's created for us or created um, for himself. We go to those things instead of going to Christ. We go to the things that he holds together instead of the one who holds those things together. But here's the weird thing. We have access to the one who created those things. So why do we settle for creation when we have access to the creator? Why do we settle for the things that are being held together by him instead of the one who holds all things together? See, everything that was created was created by him, through him, for him. But we think they were created for us. We think we create. We think we've done it. We hold ourselves in the preeminent position instead of Jesus. Verse 18, it, it continues, he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in him he might be preeminent. So I pastor this church, and it is an incredible privilege, but I do not do that for my own authority. I don't do that for my own um, ability even, but I do that because Christ, Jesus, is the head of this church. Jesus is the shepherd, the, the ultimate high shepherd over this church. It is not me. It is not, so when we, our, our ultimate goal is to have um, a plurality of leaders, and so uh, uh, have elders, 
elders are pastors, and so these, these elders would not be the only authority. They would, their authority would come from Jesus. So Jesus is the great high shepherd. He is the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn of the dead, in that everything he might be preeminent. Verse 19 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is greater than all these things. We don't have to go to creation to get fulfilled. We don't have to go to these things that he's created to try and fill up pieces of our heart. But we do this, and we do this in, in a number of ways, and we'll talk about a few. And these, are, these aren't new things. If you come to the Grove for any length of time, we've talked about these things over and over and over again, but I still keep seeing people go to these things. And so we're going to keep reminding people of the good news of Jesus and that he's better than these things. And so one of the ways we do this is through relationships. Man, through relationships. And so th there's a no number of ways this happens. I think the church has done a terrible job in, 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 its, uh, in, in, in where it places marriage in the Christian life. And so what the church has done is they've placed marriage as like the end all of the Christian life. Is that, man, you become a Christian, you follow Jesus, and someday you find a wife or a husband who loves Jesus and you get married. That is not the story for everyone. And it shouldn't be the story for everyone. It doesn't have to be the story. Jesus was never married. And so if we think that marriage is the pinnacle of the Christian life, then Jesus never experienced it. And that can't be. We don't have to get married to experience the fullness of the Christian life. And so because of where the church has placed marriage, and let me, let me, let me, let me be straight, though. Marriage is placed on a high level, and God places on a high level. He says, let, let what God has put together, let no man tear apart. Like, marriage is an important institution for God because it's his picture of Christ and the church to the world. So it is important, and it's placed in a high spot, but the church has elevated it to a place where it ought not to be. The church has elevated it to a place where what happens then is because Christianity, is, its end goal is for everyone to get married and find a spouse and have a family and have kids, is that when those things don't happen or when those things do happen and they're not as great as we thought they are going to be, people live in depression and they become, man, they just live in this despair because, man, my, guess what? My wife doesn't completely, complete me. And I was told she would. I told that all I need to do is get married and I'd be happy. My wife doesn't make me happy. Man, there's times where my wife frustrates the heck out of me. There's times where I frustrate, I'm sure I frustrate her more than that. So th this week we celebrated 10 years of marriage. I mean, it was, it's fantastic. It feels really good to say we've been married for a decade. It feels good to say that. We've been happily married for about seven years. We've been married for a decade. The first three years were a complete nightmare. It's a complete nightmare. There was nights you just laying in bed being like, did I make the biggest mistake of my life? My wife did not complete me, but I thought she would. I thought growing up in this true love waits culture, this, um, uh, you know, marriage is everything kind of belief, I thought, man, I, I turned 18 and all I wanted to do was get married because that was the next step. That's what I wanted. I wanted to get married so bad, and I did, and it was not all I thought it was going to be. It was not the answer to all my problems. It wasn't the answer to my lust problems. It wasn't the answer to my problems of, of companionship. I thought, man, so I, I, in high school what I did was I tried to fulfill my heart by chasing after a bunch of different girls at the same time. That's what I did. It was, it was deplorable. I left a wake of destruction in my path wherever I went. But that's what I did. Because I wanted to feel loved. I wanted to feel cared about. I wanted to feel like people loved me, liked me, which is different. 
I wanted to feel both those things. I wanted to feel appreciated and affirmed. I wanted to feel like I was important. So what I did was I chased after the opposite sex. And then in a, I turned 18, and was, I was able to get married, so I thought, man, that's going to fix that problem. If I get married, then I'll know that I'm affirmed, loved, appreciated. And so I got married. And much to Margie's amazingness, I didn't always feel loved. I definitely didn't always feel liked. I didn't feel appreciated. I didn't feel important. I didn't feel complete. And so what happened? Man, I sought those things elsewhere. It almost ruined my marriage. I sought those things in pornography. I thought, sought those things in, in other emotional relationships with other women. And I, I, I almost ruined and I did, I, I mean, to an extent, I did in that time ruin my marriage. Because I thought it would complete me. I thought it would be, and it didn't, so I went elsewhere. Jesus alone completes us. Jesus alone fills that eternity-shaped hole in our heart. Jerry Maguire is not the answer. This you complete me is not true. It's not going to happen. So if you're married and you think your spouse is going to answer all of your life's problems, she won't. He will not. Even if she did, you'd grow tired of it. Like you will not be satisfied by your spouse. You will not be satisfied by your kids. Your kids will annoy you. Kids will not listen to you. They will rebel. You will not be satisfied by your kids. Your kids will grow up. They'll leave the house. And then what will, will they be? They will not want to come home from college. They won't want to come home after. They're going to get married. and They're going to move somewhere else. You won't see them for, for maybe several holidays at a time. Then where will you be? These things do not complete us. Drink, alcohol, and it's and, and, and okay, let's go back to marriage and kids. God created both of those things, and they're both incredible things. But when we elevate them to the place of God where they need to complete me and change me and make me feel better, that's where things go wrong. That's where we miss it, and that's where they become idols, and that's where we will crush those things. Not only will they not fix us, they'll crush our spouse, they'll crush our kids. Because they can't bear the weight that we put on them. And, we, and so when we, we don't go to those things, oftentimes we go to drink. We go to alcohol. And alcohol is a gift from God. The Old Testament is super clear that, that wine was a blessing. It was a gift from God. But when we elevate that to, man, where I need a drink when I come home, I'm going to pour myself a glass of wine and get in the bath, and that's what I need to feel good, to feel better after work. And we're not going to God with our stress, with our issues. And then we've elevated drink to a place where it shouldn't be. And that will not satisfy us. And we'll end up needing more and more and more. And we'll become dependent on that. And it will never, but, but the scary thing is, about all these things we'll talk about, is they work for a moment. Man, marriage feels good for a moment. There's that honeymoon phase. And that could be real. Sometimes it's not real. Sometimes people skip the honeymoon phase, which is unfortunate. But there's that honeymoon phase. And that, man, it feels good for a moment. But then reality sets in. Bills come in. Work starts start to have kids. These things work. Alcohol works for a moment. It feels good for a moment. But it does not satisfy. Relationships, marriage, sex, alcohol, food. Food's been a big one in my life. I know, like, we don't, I know the church doesn't like to talk about gluttony a lot. Um, but food's been a big one in my life where, man, like, I like to come home from a hard day at work and I just, I want, I want a Boonies pizza. And I want to know what everyone else wants, because this one's mine. Like, that's, that's like, hey, I'm, let's have pizza for dinner. What do you guys want? Hey, let's get a bowl of ice cream. 
And that, that feels good. But the thing is, man, a bowl of Briars mint chocolate chip, the kind that like, doesn't have the artificial diet, it's just white and chocolate chips, man, that feels good. You sit on the couch, you watch an episode of House, you, drink, you eat the ice cream, man, that feels good. And you escape for a moment. But then it ends. These things were never meant to satisfy. I mean, you can enjoy ice cream. You can enjoy sex. You can enjoy your spouse. You can enjoy your kids. You can enjoy alcohol. But they were not meant to satisfy us. Jesus is greater than those things. Man, so we can keep going. You've got, you've got alcohol, relationships. We can keep going. Food, we can go. We can go, and this one's controversial. We can go to essential oils. Those things are great. Man, I've had stomach aches that, like, just, I, I thought, I went to a friend's house, and my stomach was just rolling. And I just, like, I couldn't go to the bathroom um, at all. And my, so my stomach was just feeling so bad. Uh, our friend made this little capsule. She put the peppermint and the something else in there. And I took it, and five minutes later, I was off to the bathroom. I had to, like, turn the water and the fan and everything on so I couldn't hear anything. But, man, like, it worked. But when we start to rely on these things instead of Jesus, then we miss the point and we, we become dissatisfied. We, be, we, we lead to despair. And we know this is true, and all we have to do is look to the world and see how marriages fall apart. We see, we see I mean, there's, there's pastors who are committing suicide. The suicide rate of pastors are up over the last decade. Anything but Jesus is not meant to satisfy, and it will not satisfy. Jesus is greater than all these things. He's preeminent. He, he holds all things to greater. He's created all things. He's not just a way. He's the way. He's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. He's the great high priest. He's the great shepherd. He's the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace. He's the alpha and the omega. He's our savior. He's our friend. He is everything. He is the God-man. He is the son of God, the prince of peace. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to God except through him. We will not be satisfied. We will not be all that we were meant to be in God except through Jesus. And Paul's going to remind the Colossians here. So in context, the idea is, man, don't add things to Christianity. Jesus, not only is he enough, he's the only way. These things will not help. These other things, these, this, this new age, this mysticism that the Colossians were trying to add to Christianity, these things will not help. They will only take away from the preeminence, the goodness, the greatness of Christ. Christ is greater than those things. Christ will be enough. And where, where, where we start to add these things is because we have not continued in the faith. We have not been stable and steadfast. We've shifted from the hope of the gospel that we have heard. So when we begin to shift from the gospel and say, hey, the gospel saved me, but now I need to get married in order to, to be satisfied. Now I need to have kids. The gospel saved me, and that's great, but now, man, there's more I want. I need, I need kids. I need, I need a better job. I need a bigger truck. I need more house. I need, I need a, a better patio. I need, we can add all these things to try and satisfy our life, but no, God is enough. Christ is enough. You've shifted from the hope that you had in the gospel when you first came to him. You have Christ. You don't need anything else. And verse 21 says, And you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. I want to read um, Hebrews 4. This is a really popular passage as well. Um, but I feel like it's going to help us. Hebrews 4, 15. It's not, not going to be up here on the screen, but I'll read it to you guys. 
Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is Jesus. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so here's what I want you to hear. This Jesus, who's the firstborn of all creation, he's the image of the invisible God. By him, everything was created. Everything was created by him, through him, and for him. He looks down and has empathy. He's not unable to sympathize with us. And so think about this for a second. Just just imagine, there's the, the creator of the universe, the king of kings, does not look down and say, I can't believe you did that. He looks down with sympathy, knowing what we go through, because he's gone through it. He looks down with empathy, knowing what we've gone through, because he's walked through it. He doesn't stand up there and say, I can't believe you don't trust me. And he was tempted not to trust God the Father himself. He looks down with empathy. The creator of everything, who has every right to look down and say, I can't believe because he's without sin. He doesn't. In his love, he looks down and says, my child, like, I I love you. Like, come to me. I'll be enough for you. You don't need these things. These things are good. I created them. To glorify myself. These are good things, but you don't need them. All you need is me. Come to me. I will clean you. I will make you blameless. I will put you and make you above reproach. All you need is me. You don't need anything else. Don't shift your hope from the gospel. Remember me. Come back to me. Come back to that love that you first had in the beginning. Do not leave that. Do not leave your hope you had and that you placed in me. Don't leave that. Don't move on to greater things. He doesn't just tell us here about the supremacy of Christ, but he talks about the sufficiency of Christ. He's greater than all these things, and he's all that you need. Do not leave him. Do not walk away from that. See, some of us, when we came to the faith, and we had this excitement, and we had this faith, and we had this hope in the gospel, and for whatever reason, we put that faith, that excitement, and that hope, and we put it somewhere else. We put it in the backseat of our lives, and we've moved on to other things. Come back to that. Don't leave that. You can't move on from this. Paul, in the last three sermons, they're really the same, is that we're so tempted to move on from the gospel. And we can't. We must not because it's everything we need is here in the gospel. The whole Bible is about the gospel. You know, that's, why, that's why I'm so excited about our kids' ministry. Our kids' ministry is not about making your kids more obedient. It's not. So if you, if you want to find a church that's going to teach your kids not to lie and, and not to steal and, and not like and teach your kids morality, you're at the wrong place. Our kids' ministry is going to be about Jesus. And I'll be honest, now, now obedience is, is, a, is a really great byproduct of kids who fall in love with Jesus, but that cannot be the point of what we do. The point of what we do is to show our kids how great Jesus is, that he's the firstborn of everything, that he has created everything, and he is good, and he looks down with empathy, and if our kids here at the Grove can fall in love with him, they can change the world, they can change everything, they can change our community, they can change the schools as they grow up and they go to school. If they can fall in love with Christ, everything can change. If they can keep that hope and not walk away from that hope onto other, what they deem greater things, everything can change. And so, for whatever reason, if you're here today, and you've, you've moved on from this hope, you've moved on from that faith that you had when you first came to Christ. And I'm just, as your pastor is pleading with you, would you come back to it? Come back to him. He's there. He's not angry that you 
that you've walked away. He's not angry that you've shifted hope. He's pleading with you that you would come back. He's asking, please come back. Like the prodigal son who wanders and he gets, gets into the world and gets into other things. He comes home and he welcomes him. He kills the fatted calf and he gives him new robes and makes him clean. He gives him a ring to show you're part of my family. He's asking and pleading for you to come back. And so for those who have taken their faith and put it in the backseat of their life, would you come back to Christ? Maybe you're here today and you've never really done that. You've never responded to the gospel. You've never had that hope. You've never had that excitement for Christ. You've never loved him and followed him. And that, that's, that's, that's the call today, is that you would love him, that you would follow him, that you would come to him. Because he's greater than all these things. You can, you can have the greatest job in the world. You can have all the promotions. You can be the most liked at work. Your husband can be the best. Your wife can be the best. Your kids can be great. And it will never be enough. You will always want more. Your father could tell you how proud they are of you. You can have all the great alcohol in the world. You can have all the sex you want. It will never be enough. But Christ is enough. And Christ is all for us. It's all we need. So come to him. So I'm, I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to move to a time of, of, of congregational song and worship. Um, and, and, and we'll have the Lord's Supper up here. And so... Uh, that's, that, that's what we celebrate, is the gospel. We celebrate this incredible news that Christ doesn't look down with anger or resentment, but he looks down with love. He looks down knowing what we've gone through, being tempted in every way as we are, and he empathizes and says, just come to me. Just come to me. And so for the Christian here today, if you want to celebrate that, would you come up and partake in the Lord's Supper? You can take the wine or the juice and the bread and go back to your seat and just celebrate and be thankful all that God's done in you by eating the bread, which is the symbol of his broken body and eating and drinking the wine or the juice and the symbol of his blood that's poured out that would make you blameless and make you holy. If you're not a Christian here today, you don't have to come, please don't come up, you know, no one's going to judge you, just stay seated or, st or standing, whatever you're comfortable with, um, but please don't come up and, and, and partake in something that you don't even believe in anyway. Um, but I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll sing together, um, and, then, and then we'll close in prayer even after that. So, Father, God, I just come before you, Lord, just so thankful for your word this morning, Lord. I'm thankful that you um, have chosen to reveal yourself to us, God. How great you are, Lord, that we can know you through reading your word. Lord, I pray that you would just ignite um, a desire in, the, in, the, in the, the men and women of the grove that they would just want to know you. And they would look to your son, Jesus, the image of the invisible God in order to know you. Not to their own thoughts or beliefs, Lord, but to, to who you revealed yourself to be. Lord, I, I pray for those of us here, Lord, who um, at once put our hope in the gospel and for whatever reason we've shifted from that, Lord, that we would shift back, that you would call us back to our first love, call us back to the gospel. Lord, if there's anyone here who's never responded, Lord, I pray, God, for them that they would see the gospel as wonderful and glorious news that despite our sin, that we've been hostile and enemies to you, Lord, you've decided to come and rescue us. And that if we just believe and turn to you and turn away from our sin, that we are your sons, that we are your daughters, that you've covered us, made us blameless, made us above reproach, holy and part of your family. We love you and we're thankful. I pray that this uh, time of worship would be holy and pleasing to you and an aroma to you, God. And I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.